historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. Today's episode is called The Shadow War with Iran. Recently, the New York Times reported a commercial ship was attacked in the Indian Ocean. There was no real damage and no one was hurt. Why was the ship attacked? And who were the attackers? According to reputable Israeli sources, and when I say reputable Israeli sources, what I basically mean is the Israeli intelligence. Iranian divers arrived at a well-known diving club in Malta with the aim of learning how to use a diving technique called closed breathing systems. I'm no expert at understanding closed breathing systems, but I do know that these systems are often used for military purposes. Since... What they do is you, you breathe out as a diver and the carbon dioxide that you breathe out is recycled as oxygen. This allows for long underwater diving. And again, Navy SEALs and other sea commandos use this technique often. Now, were these Iranians that showed up in Malta, just tourists that in the middle of the COVID epidemic decided to take a vacation and, you know, learn the technique of the closed breathing systems? Israel says, no, they were Iranian Revolutionary Guard Special Forces aiming to retaliate against an Israeli-owned ship. It was a case of mistaken identity. The ship was once owned by an Israeli billionaire named Eyal Ofer, but he sold his ownership more than six months prior to the attack. They obviously had bad intel. They thought he still owned it. Whoops. I guess some heads will be rolling in Iran over this bad intel. In Israel, nobody was surprised of the attack. The Iranians, once again, were simply retaliating for their ships being attacked by Israel. If you look at different reporting, you'll see that the Wall Street Journal reported at the end of winter 2021, an Israeli attack on 12 Iranian ships. The London Times reported that Israel attacked at least 100 Iranian ships. We know that within two years, between 2019 and 2021, indeed scores of Iranian ships were attacked on the high seas, Indian Ocean, in the Red Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and other bodies of water. These are not innocent civilian ships. They are carrying weapons, ammunition, bombs, missile parts, and much more. This is a part of a shadow maritime warfare between Israel and Iran. Now, did the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and London Times send, I don't know, journalists who specialize in Navy SEAL commando operations to attain their scoop? Obviously not. It seems someone, in my wild guess, and I say this sarcastically, not really a wild guess, is that Israel leaked it out in order to send a message. Actually, several messages to several different addresses. Let's break that down and understand what the messages were and who they were to. So the first is to Iran. And the message is pretty clear. This is not going to work for you. We are not going to allow you to ship multitudes of weapons, including precise missiles, to your proxy called Hezbollah in Lebanon, and to your Shia militias in Syria. But at the same time, Israel is careful. It doesn't want to break the code of what I would call reasonable sabotage. What do I mean? The attacked ships aren't sunk, people are not killed, but the damage is such that it takes months to fix, if at all. Furthermore, imagine that you are the owner of a ship, not Iranian, but say Greek or Italian, and the Iranians decide to lease it from you for just carrying their cargo. Are you going to be willing to take risky cost damage for a questionable Iranian cargo? I guess that depends on how much they pay you. But what about the insurance companies? I mean, are you as an owner going to be insured on your next ship that's going to be sailing the Indian Ocean or the Mediterranean Sea? I'm not so sure. Now, why is Israel doing this? Are we pirates? Are we too aggressive? Let's try to take a deeper look and understand it. So first, let's understand the Iranian strategy. The Iranian strategy is such, and they've said this many times, to encircle Israel and to put it under siege. In Lebanon, 
The Iranians have a proxy, which I mentioned, called the Hezbollah. That's just to the northern border of Israel. On the northeastern border of Israel, Syria holds many Shia militias that are very loyal to Iran. Then we have the Gaza Strip, southwestern Israel, and the West Bank in eastern Israel that have Hamas, which ironically is Sunni, not Shia, but when there's a common enemy, which is Israel, they're obviously willing to ally up with Iran. Not bordering us, but not that far away as Yemen. There, the Houthi fighters, which are supported again by Iran, have missiles that have been firing inside Arabia for a long time, but they can also be firing in Israel when needed. And then Iraq, which again does not border Israel, one country over, there's uh, Jordan between Israel and Iraq, there are Shia militias there that are ready to fight Israel anytime that they are given an order. Iran figures that when the time comes for war with Israel, they will activate all these forces and attack Israel on several fronts. Israeli strategy, obviously, is to avoid that. The military and the government establish what we call Mabam. That's an Hebrew acronym that the full Hebrew sentence is Ma'acha ben Milchamot. In English, that means that campaign between wars. You see, we Israelis have been burnt once before. We were way too lackadaisical about Lebanon. That is to say Hezbollah. We kind of, quote unquote, fell asleep and allowed them to build an arsenal of weapons with over 150,000 rockets and missiles facing Israel. This cannot be repeated in Syria and Gaza, the West Bank, Yemen, Iraq, and other countries. Israel is determined not to let that happen. So Israel came up with a strategy called Mabam, the campaign between wars. And the strategy is to squash the Iranian strategy, but without it snowballing into an all-out war. What do we do? Well, we use our powerful air force, special ground forces, cyber warfare, targeted eliminations, and of course the Navy, which we began with. The Israeli Air Force, for one, guided by special forces and agents on the ground sometimes, has launched hundreds of strikes in Syria against the attempt of Iranian infrastructure buildup since the beginning of the civil war. The civil war in Syria has been going on for 10 years now. These strikes were and are aimed once again at preventing Iran from establishing a permanent military presence in Syria, as well as the Iranian efforts to transport advanced precise weapons to Hezbollah and to other terror groups in the region. The Iranians try to retaliate against Israel for the air bombings, and they launched at least on two different occasions, but more than that, armed drones that they hoped would explode in Israel. The Israeli air defense system followed them from the time they took off and shot them down as soon as they crossed the border into Israel. Realizing this vulnerability, the Iranians basically moved the production of weapons and ammunition to Iraq, but there too, weapon silos and production plants were attacked and destroyed, sometimes by drones, sometimes with the Israeli Air Force. Israel doesn't usually take responsibility, but it's very clear to everyone who is doing this. In Lebanon, another example, two armed drones fell right on top of the Hezbollah office that happened to store mechanisms for the production of precise missiles. So that's a bit about our Air Force, and again, that's just on the edge of the iceberg because there's been hundreds and hundreds of attacks all over the Middle East by the Israeli Air Force. Another tool that is used, sometimes questionable, is what we call the targeted eliminations. Iranian nuclear scientists have found their death killed sometimes at the doorstep of their home. There will be another episode that we will talk about the further shadow war um, between Israel and Iran, and we'll mention all about that. But I do want to mention the most surgical elimination was of a man whose name was Mohsan Fakharizada. Mohsan Fakharizada was a brigadier general in the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard. He was the head of the Iranian nuclear program. If the reports are correct, Fakharizada was traveling in a convoy outside of Tehran in Iran, with his wife and at least 11 bodyguards. At a turn on a road, fire opened on the convoy killing Fakharizada, but not even injuring his wife that sat 10 inches away from him. In a Prince conference, Ali Fadawi, that's an Iranian general and the number two person in the Revolutionary Guard, claimed that the bullets killing Fakharizada were shot remotely via satellite. 
The gun was placed on a truck, identified Fakharizadeh's face using face imaging technology, and directed fire only at him. The truck was then, the truck that the gun was on, was then mysteriously blown up. Self-destruction. Sounds like Mission Impossible. The Iranians launched a countrywide pursuit in an attempt to catch those responsible, but were not successful. An additional tool that Israel uses is on the cyber front. Now, much of that is concealed, but we do know that in May 2020, a cyber attack shut down the activities of the port of Bandar Abbas, Iran's largest port in the Straits of Hormoz, and that's in the Persian Gulf, of course. This attack came after Iranian hackers tried to meddle with Israel's water treatment system. Israel had basically sent a message saying, if you try to battle us using cyber warfare, know that we are much stronger than you. And just recently, in July 2021, the Iranian train system shut down almost completely. The information screens at the different uh, stations posted the telephone number of the supreme leader of Iran in case of complaints. Kind of a joke, a little bit humorous, but very uncomfortable for the regime, of course. These are actually minor attacks compared to Israel's cyber capability. By the way, I didn't say that Israel was responsible for the train halt, but I do want to say that these are minor attacks in terms of Israel's capabilities cyber-wise. But they do send a message to Iran, and the message again is, don't even think of disturbing our lives. We are much more sophisticated in terms of cyber warfare, and it won't be worth the price that you will pay. The message from Israel is loud and clear. But Israel's also sending messages to other addresses. For example, to the United States. The Biden administration, as we speak, is attempting to reach a deal with Iran to prevent them from obtaining nuclear capabilities and hopefully also to prevent them from obtaining or producing long-range ballistic missiles. If Iran agrees to a deal, they're going to want compensation on many levels, mainly economic, but also military. And who says that even if they do reach an agreement, you can actually trust the Iranians to abide by an agreement. Israel is saying to the United States, you can sign a deal with the Iranians, but we will continue, since we are on the so-called front line with Iran, to act as we have in the past against Iran and to continue our Mabam strategy against Iran. Another message is to the Russians. The Middle East is strategically important to the Russians. The Russians have a large Navy base in northwestern Syria on the Mediterranean Sea. We know that the Russians have cooperated with Iran in Syria, and we even know that the Russians have helped Iran build facilities in Iran, um, some of which would be nuclear facilities that the Russians and the Iranians claim are for electric use, uh, not for nuclear use. Israel's message to the Russians is, we respect the fact that the Middle East is strategically important to you, but there's a red line with Iran that one cannot cross, and that red line is enabling them to, one, put a siege around Israel, and two, to have some kind of weapons of mass destruction capability. The Russians actually understood the message, they heard the message, and on several fronts, they have actually cooperated with Israel. For instance, they pushed away Iranian-backed groups, militias, from the actual border of Israel on the Syrian front and have limited Iranian infrastructure within Syria itself. Something else that's interesting and just as an anecdote about the Russians, you know, the Russians do business and they've sold missiles, anti-aircraft missiles to Syria and other places in the world. Syria is interesting because they fire these anti-aircraft missiles at Israeli aircrafts and they miss all the time. As a matter of fact, they've never hit. And what's interesting about that is that the Russians, if they want to sell their anti-aircraft missiles, they have to at least prove that they work. And so you a lot of times hear reports from Syria that they've hit all the missiles fired at targets in Syria and so on. It's a lot of, as we, as they say in Yiddish, Baba Maise, 
grandma stories. In other words, it's not true. They really don't hit any missiles. But for the Russians, it sounds better if they do, because that way they can continue selling their their missiles to other countries. What about the Europeans? Israel Does Israel want to send a message to the Europeans? Israel has found that the Europeans have really been non-active whatsoever. They have really not put any pressure on Iran as far as Israel is concerned. And we do want them to get more involved, but we'll see what happens with that. And then finally, the Arab Sunni states. Now, when I say the Arab Sunni states, I am mainly referring to Saudi Arabia. That is the leader of the Arab Sunni states. And Saudi Arabia and Iran are both powerful, mainly oil-rich. They're neighbors and they're locked in a fierce struggle for regional dominance. The struggle, the feud between them, is also a religious feud since Iran is largely Shia Muslims, while Saudi Arabia is Sunni Muslims, and again, it sees itself as the leading Sunni state. In September of 2019, this feud reached fatal proportions when Iran attacked the major Saudi oil fields with cruise missiles, drones, putting out of commission, and a result, decreasing the Saudi oil production ability by 50%. By the way, that's actually 5% of all world oil production. The Saudis, interestingly enough, didn't really react. They did not want to react because it would mean an all-out war. The United States, under the Trump administration, also didn't react. And for Iran, this was almost a green light to go ahead and continue this feud with the Saudis and to be able to hit the Saudis when they wanted. Israel's expectation is that the United States, Russia, the Europeans, and the Sunni-led states, which is, again, by Saudi Arabia, will take an active role in dealing with Iran. Israel will continue tampering with Iranian ships that are sending weapons to their proxies. Israel continues cyber warfare. Israel will continue even the targeted eliminations in order to make sure that Iran doesn't reach a strategy of putting the siege around Israel as well as obtaining or creating a weapon of mass destruction. There will be a whole episode on how Israel deals with eliminating the Iranian capability of creating a nuclear weapon. In order to achieve this, Israel is playing what we call in basketball a full court press. In the near future, we will discover if it is indeed working or if Israel needs to look at other strategies. That is it for today. Please tune in to InsideIsrael.fm. To hear more, you can access all of our podcasts on InsideIsrael.fm. You can also access us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Music.